the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Monday, September 26, 2022. Hope you all had a good weekend. 602508-0960 is the phone number. 602-5080-960. I'll do my monologue at the top of the third hour. It's about the new Italian prime minister over uh much uh, uh much as over whom much has been written uh most of it negative and uh, a prominent speech of hers about the family and um, the importance of the family that is flying around social media as it deserves to be and it deserves to be heralded it deserves to be saluted what she's saying it deserves to be cheered and it deserves to be spread widely Spread so widely that I wish more Republicans would talk that way. I wish more conservatives would talk that way. There's this tendency to shrink and hide and retreat from the tough stuff. Um, The tough stuff gets defined lower and lower all the time. We're defining tough down so that now Republicans who used to be afraid of talking about and seemingly still are pro-life issues are now cowering from and not wanting to talk about the importance of the family. Stop letting the left take away your speech. Stop letting the left define the areas of concern that you want to talk about. They are important to people. These are the building blocks, after all, of our civilization. So when you talk about this being the most important election of our lifetime, what the heck do you mean? I believe it is. Why is it the most important election of our lifetime? The reasons I've spoken about before, I do believe the building blocks of this country, the building blocks of this society, the guardrails and the navigational beacons of this civilization are at stake. I was just off the top of my head. I was thinking about this uh, at a talk I gave, oh, maybe a week ago at a campaign event for a few candidates here in town. And when they were asking me, how serious is this socialism business? Do you really mean what you say when you say socialism is uh, is in play here for this country? You bet I, I do. You bet I do. When I was in college, um, when many of you were in college, maybe most of you, maybe all of you, there were no socialists elected uh, into any elected offices in America. Uh, I say that possibly there was one exception in the Texas Agriculture Commissioner, possibly a guy named Jim Hightower. He might have identified as a socialist, but that was it. That was it. Today, there are at least seven in the United States Congress proudly defining themselves as that, as socialists. And there are over 100 more throughout the various states and communities and the legislators' offices, state legislatures, and other municipal and elected offices around the country. It has become, uh, what's the word I want, detoxified. It has become almost de rigueur. They uh, tend to and cleverly put the and affix the word democratic 
in front of it, like democratic socialism is a better thing than just pure socialism because they put an innocuous sounding or American sounding word in front of it. Um, I don't know of a socialist regime we have condemned throughout history or even recent current events that the leader, the socialist leader, the socialist revolutionary uh, wasn't, uh, if not elected in the first place, elected in subsequent sham elections, in subsequent sham polls, uh, pollings and plebiscites. That's what they do. The word democratic in front of it matters not at all. There's a um, there's this interesting trick of the mind that socialism is supposed to be far better than the than the names they throw against the right, like fascism or like far right extremism, which is what they're throwing at this new leader, uh, this new prime minister, newly elected prime minister in Italy. They do it all the time. Remember, Silvio Berlusconi was the prime minister of Italy. Uh, in the early 2000s when George W. Bush was president. They had a great working relationship. And surprise, surprise, I am now going back through the research and seeing headlines when he was elected. He was condemned as a fascist. He was no fascist. And that's not unusual here either. The uh, left in America has been using the same names against our party and our party's leaders as they have since the 1960s. They started it with Barry Goldwater and they've been using it ever since. The only difference is now they have more outlets. Now they have emails. Now they have Twitter. Now they have Facebook. Now they have umpteen cable channels, and they have the networks. They didn't have the networks then. They have them now. Uh, email today, just just today, <laughs> um, I got uh, two emails from our Speaker of the House, two fundraising emails from our Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. I quote these, and people say, well, you know she probably didn't really write these things. I get it, but she oversees people who are writing them in her name, and she is thus as responsible for them as she— she is far more responsible for them because they go out under her signature in an effort to induce in, uh, money and contributions, uh, not only within the state but across state lines. She is far more responsible than the allegations they sloppily and indiscriminately throw around about every Republican being responsible for the nonsense of January 6th. And you get lines like this when she writes, a shocking poll shows Republicans within one point of flipping the House after all the pain and suffering Republicans have caused. We pour our blood, sweat, and tears in, in winning back because I know we will regret if we let Republicans flood the election again and buy their way back into the majority in order to take their revenge. What the hell is she talking about? She's trying to raise as much money as we are. There's nothing illegal about raising money. What revenge? What revenge? And what did we do, her words, to decimate the country decimate the the country. She says we must rise up to meet the moment with the power it deserves and launch an immediate response to defeat Republicans. Her words, rise up to the moment, meet the moment with the power it deserves to launch an immediate response to defeat them. I would like someone creative. I don't have the ability. I fortunately don't probably have the time either. I would love to do to uh, the Speaker and the Democrats, what they continually do to us. Take an image from one of the leaders, one of the, uh, one of, one of the tyrants, tyrants, tyrannical leaders of World War II, you know the three of them, 
and graft it on to some Republican Party event or some Republican Party speech and show the similarities and do it with them. Do it with them. Who does this sound? Power to launch an immediate response to defeat them before they decimate our country. I'm betting you could find 50 Mussolini speeches or 50 Germany speeches or 50 Stalin speeches without working very hard getting that exact same kind of language. But, of course, we're the ones spurring and dangerously spurring the violence at that. Meanwhile, thanks to Tom Elliott's work, you can see at MSNBC, they're using the language of violence all the time. He's quoting Tiffany Cross, hostess at MSNBC, from uh, last week. These days it feels like we're not just at the brink of a civil war, but that one has already begun. Boy, that's an interesting news story for MSNBC. I guess it wasn't picked up everywhere else. MSNBC, civil war has already begun. We love how the first lady keeps – the former first lady, former secretary of state, Hillary Clinton, keeps uh, keeps raising the rhetorical axe. What's going through your mind today, 21 years later? Well, Dana, um, every uh, time we approach September 11th, I do think about – Everything that I saw, all the people that I met, the families of those who lost loved ones. So it is indelibly um, part of my uh, memories. And I feel grateful that um, we were able to come together as a country at that really terrible time. We put aside differences. I wish we could find ways of doing that again. We rebuilt New York. Uh, we have done our best to take care of the families that lost so much on that terrible day. And we have also, I think, um, been reminded um, about how important it is uh, to try to deal with extremism of any kind, uh, especially when it uses violence to try to achieve political and ideological uh, goals. So, I'm one who thinks that uh, there are lessons still to be learned from what happened to us on 9-11 that we should be very aware of uh, during this time in our country. Got it. Republicans are extremists. The 9-11 terrorists were extremists. They're the same thing. That's the trick of language she wants to use for the trick of political propaganda. It is I run out of words, frankly, disgusting and un-American. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are looking for a remarkable investment opportunity with a great return for investors, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm of investors who do really well by doing good for others, and you can be a part of that too. What is it they're offering? A fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% return for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. You can check them out at investyrefi.com. The word invest, the letter Y, R-E-F-Y.com, investyrefi.com. Or give them a call at 855-316-3087, There was a quote I used a little. In retrospect, I wish I used it more during the COVID shutdowns about how 
being told to follow the science, follow the science, follow the science, not being a science denier, don't be a science denier, don't be a science denier. That science is um, science is, is, is dominated by the thinking of uh, can we do something, not if we should do something. The line I wished I would have used more was uh, Ian Malcolm's line from Jurassic Park, that great Jeff Goldblum character. What was he? I believe a chaos theorist. And he said, scientists are actually preoccupied with accomplishment. So they are focused on whether they can do something. They never stop to ask if they should do something. And I believe that that, I should have used that quote a lot more. Um, I used it a little, not sufficiently. Because uh, one of the things many of us were postulating at the time was, especially when it came to how we were treating our children, from schools and, 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 and otherwise, one of the things that was so concerning was not how it was just bad in and of itself and would lead to bad outcomes in and of themselves with what we were doing with regard to COVID, but the precedent it would set. Um, you can think about this with almost any number of scientific adventures. Uh, you go down one path, people are going to want to pick it up and use that technology otherwise and elsewhere. Uh, you see this, of course, with terrorist movements. You think about it with the eugenics movement, of course, as well, over which we rightfully, I think, in most precincts, still condemn as aberrant and abhorrent experiments throughout history um, and particularly as perfected in other countries we ultimately went to war with. Um, but, you know, uh, we have our own um, we have our own experiments with it that sometimes predate the experiments in other countries that we have to answer for. That's part of American history, too. Um, not one that we should bury, but one we should be ever guarded against. When it came to covid, one of the things we were worried about with these shutdowns was how it would be leveraged, how it would be used, how it would be experimented with, tinkered with and perfected for other, quote unquote, crises, uh, for other, quote unquote, emergencies. If you can radically disrupt uh, a child's really total social and familial existence by dictate with the snap of a finger, with lecturing and shaming and the aid and assistance not only of government agencies but unions named teachers' unions, if you can radically upend their social and educational lives over a disease or a virus that uh, took so few and was going to only take so few of their lives, we knew this early on, that it would make, um, make us look embarrassing uh, when it came to compare it with such things as uh, drownings, childhood drownings every year, um, what wouldn't it be used for? What couldn't we deploy these kinds of uh, harsh remedies for in the name of a dreamed up or invented or considered um, uh, uh, exacerbated emergency? Well, they, uh, we, we said uh, climate, environment, that's probably next, probably uh, the folks at Issues and Insights write, just today, while we never thought that the coronavirus pande pandemic was engineered to soften us up for harsher climate lockdowns to come later, I did, we did not, we did know that our ruling class was watching our reactions to its repressive rules to see how far it could go 
the next time. And now we're alarmed that the next time might be here soon. In November 2020, we wrote we were afraid the country was being conditioned to just take whatever is dished out by power-hungry officials, elected and non-elected, and were troubled that people such as Dr. Anthony Fauci would say things like, and he did, I verified the quote, now is the time to do what you are being told. It was in a speech comparing us to other countries and how we have greater traditions of civil liberties than those other countries, and then said, and now it's time to stop. Now it's time to do what you're told, his quotes, with minimal condemnation and no demands that he be fired. In fact, I'm guessing, like me, you may be hearing that quote for the first time, or if not, you had forgotten when he said it, as was likely the case in mine. I, I either forgot it or never heard him say that for as much as I was watching him. Now is the time to do what you're told. Nearly two years later, it looks like the concern is justified. Evidence, September 14th, World Economic Forum document topped by the title, quote, My Carbon, an approach for inclusive and sustainable cities. The report says there have been significant developments over the last five to seven years on social environment and technological fronts that could help realize the goals for shaping the future towards smart and sustainable cities. Who doesn't want smart? Who doesn't want sustainable? But then they give us example number one, and they write this. COVID-19 was the test of social responsibility. A huge number of unimaginable restrictions for public health were adopted by billions of citizens across the world. There were numerous examples globally of maintaining social distancing, wearing masks, mass vaccinations, and acceptance of contact tracing applications for public health, which demonstrated the core of individual social responsibility. You glad to see that? Their definition of individual, core individual social responsibility is shutdowns and mandates and distancing. That's from the World Economic Forum. They took what happened as COVID uh, during COVID-19 and the reactions to it as instructive, as instructive, as prescriptive for what they should do with regard to fighting the climate crisis. Be aware. More importantly, be concerned. More importantly than that, act like this should never happen again to us because we can't afford it to ever happen again to us. A lot more to say. We'll do it. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. But your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour, we get John Dombrowski, the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates, the president and founder. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. Also a radio host here every Saturday morning, 7 a.m., The Word on Wealth. Happy Monday, John. Same to you, Seth. How you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Uh, others seem nervous. I'm looking at a headline here, Wall Street's fear... Sorry, Wall Street's fear gauge 
hits highest level since June. Uh, Wall, Wall Street traders are, are showing some fear here, huh? Right. The CBOE Volatility Index. Yes. The VIX. The VIX. Tell the me VIX, about the yes. VIX. So it jumped three points, it says, today up to 32.88, and that's hitting its highest level since mid-June. Now, if we go back and look at you know some of the uh, market moves over the past uh, year, June was one of the bottoms uh, that the market hit during that bear market bottom. And um, it bounced off of that bottom, but we haven't seen since June, this was uh, uh, that level that the markets now have hit uh, again. And the VIX itself is trading above that 30 number, which uh, we haven't seen again um, since June 16th. So it's telling us that there's a lot of fear out there, right? And oftentimes this index is used as a gauge uh, to see when stocks either you know are under or oversold, and many are believing right now, at least for in the short term, that stocks could be oversold, which means they they may be expecting uh, the possibility of a bounce. Uh, whether that's going to be something that occurs or not, no one of course knows. Uh, but also, um, the question is going to be: is, is even if the market did. Uh, you know, start to see some gains again to get back some of the losses. Would it be uh, something that we felt this was the bottom or is this just a, a bounce off of the bottom, a short term type of a thing as we've been seeing the market's been extremely volatile? Do we worry about these artificial bottoms that we create from time to time? I don't know if this is if we're looking at a period where that is one of them or this is one of them. But we sometimes with bailouts, some perhaps even with uh, some of the tinkerings at the monetary side of policy, uh, we, we sometimes create bottoms that don't tend to last. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, a lot of policy uh, will certainly have effects on the market, just as the uh, interest rate uh, rising environment that we're in right now is is affecting the markets. Um, so uh, I wouldn't call it a false bottom. Okay. That's really what okay. we're looking at is charts and just looking at uh, what's happened over the, over, you know, over time in the, in, with the markets. And that gives us an indication maybe at least as to what has happened in the past, of course, the future performance is not uh, indicative of past performances, as they say. Yeah. Uh, but it does give us a little bit of an indication, and those are the types of things that um, you know a lot of the investors will look at out there is is, is the charts and looking at uh, to see if this this could be potentially the start of the bottom again, or will stocks go lower and actually go through the uh, last. Uh, bottom that that it hit in June on June sixteenth. Right. If it does, then that of course is a negative. If it's if it bounces off of that and begins to rise, well then that would be perceived as uh, more of a positive sign. And on that, I, I mean, we are expecting certain other things to transpire. We've talked about, for example, the um, the uh, the Fed rate increases. Right. right? We mm -hmm. didn't do it all at once. Right. But we kind of have the indication that the Fed is going to want to increase. Yes. Is probably going to increase again another what three-fourths of a point right? it's very possible yeah. the way they were talking after the last uh meeting that uh they were saying we're going to stay stay strong with our, our increases and that they they sort of indicated that yes they believed it could be as high as another three-quarter percent right. uh raise in rates uh many out there believe that that may not be the case but boy the fed has certainly been doing what they said they were going to do at least this go around 
and that has kind of caught a, a, a lot of the market off off guard. Uh, John, I, yeah, I was noticing that, and I was noticing the Boston Fed president, Susan Collins, and I don't think related to the senator, but uh, Boston Fed president says that the more rate increases are needed to cool inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said she's committed to bringing inflation down to 2%, even if it means slowing the economy. That's slowing the economy thing. That's what gives nervousness, well, isn't it? it sure does. And, of course, slowing the economy is different than recession, okay, yeah, we good. think, right? We yeah. think. Anyway, yeah, that's yeah, what right. normally, you know, may, maybe if she would have made a comment like we're, we, we're steadfast in making sure that we have our target of 2% inflation and we're going to do everything we can to avoid a recession to accomplish that. I mean, that would be a nice way to put it. Uh, but, you know, to to throw out there that we're going to do it no matter what, you know, yeah. and there's going to be a lot of pain. That's That's really what is causing a lot of this volatility, that hawkish uh, stance that the Fed is now taking. Um, and that, in the past, has not been the direction that we've seen from the Fed. We've seen a very more of a dovish type of a, even if rates were increased, we, we said that, you know, a little bit of different talk. And that language has certainly um, had an effect on the markets right now. John Dombrowski, thank you, sir. You bet. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC, and an investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC are not affiliated. Thank you, Seth. You betcha, John. Bye-bye. Thank you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-5080-960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. When economies go south, gold traditionally holds its value. Gold has been used as money for nearly 3,000 years, and it still remains a common-sense investment. That's simple and straightforward. One of the nice things about things like gold and other precious metals, you don't need pushy commission salespeople to tell you why you should buy it. You probably already want it. What you need is a reputable dealer with advice based on experience and a complete range of bullion in coins. So you get what you want at the best value, which is why I like Midas Gold Group. So does Seb Gorka. So do thousands of you already. Veteran-owned, proud supporters of this show, the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group. If you're looking for gold or other precious metals, please check them out at MidasGoldGroup.com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. Or you can give them a call at 480-360-3000. That's 480 480- Three six zero, three thousand. Uh, a few different things here that are in my inbox. I wanted to clear up. You know, I have been um, have had a few guests uh, on this issue. Nick Eberstadt, most recently, I think, among them, on the issue of work in America, failure to launch, problem with young men, and the work ethic. Uh, here's here's a new piece of data I didn't know. I, I was talking with. Uh, a few other people about this. We're working on a little bit of a project on it. Um, one of the things I did know, I don't think enough people know, is uh, approximately half, half of all eligible working age men, that is to say roughly between the ages of uh, 25 and 50s, ages 25 to 52 or so, half of them are addicted to painkillers. Half of them are addicted to opioids. That's that's certainly one thing that I don't think we have grasped or understood well enough. Did you know that half? Here's something I didn't know until today in Andy Kessler's column in the Wall Street Journal. Did you know that half of U.S. households currently support an adult child 
an adult child. So we're not talking about someone who's normally being raised in a household up to the age of 18. Uh, we're talking about half of U.S. households currently supporting an adult child. We're talking about 25 to 55-year-old adult child, children. Um, I don't know if you have seen, Andy Kessler postulates this, so many more young people using hyphenated last names. Have you picked up on this? Have you noticed this trend? You see a lot more hyphenated last names than you used to in the past. He's postulating that that is to pay tribute to both of those enabling parents who may no longer be together. That's that's a cultural indice I want to keep watching. Um, let's look at another big one that I don't think we can say or spend enough time on right now, uh, and that's crime. Uh, crime having risen in major cities across this country in an unprecedented way. One didn't have to be a... Um, a brain surgeon. One didn't have to be a um, a palm or mind reader. One didn't have to be a, uh, a soothsaying futuristic uh, uh, pr- uh, prognosticator to know that when you let the crime run rampant and riot, as we did during the riots, other precedents were set and conditions expected too. One of the sad things. Uh, that came out of the urban riots of the late 60s, urban 70s, uh, late 60s, early 1970s, is a lot of those cities never recovered. Some did and some didn't. Um, cities like Detroit and Philadelphia and D.C., parts of D.C., never really recovered from the traducings of the late 1960s and early 1970s. Um, Here's a story out of Fox News that is just dealing with the doublespeak we engage in and have become used to. It's not a good thing to get used to this kind of doublespeak, but we are fast getting used to it. White House Press Secretary Karen Jean-Pierre declined to say whether President Biden believes American cities are safe. Odd thing that, because he has no problem, as Kamala Harris has no problem, as Secretary uh, of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas has no problems um, saying that our border is secure, but they are declining to say they refuse to answer whether American cities are safe. Why don't they just lie about it? I, I get. I don't know. I don't know why they don't just lie about it. Fox News reporter Peter Ducey pressed Jean-Pierre on stats showing rising crime in major cities across the country and went on to highlight comments from former White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, Press Secretary Jen Psaki, who stated that crime was a major vulnerability for Democrats heading into the November election. Quote, does President Biden think Americans big city, America's big cities are safe? Ducey asked. We know that deaths and robberies are up about 20 percent in the first half of this year. So I'm wondering if he thinks America's cities are safe. Now, stop before I even give you her answer and just ask yourself of all the appearances. It's been a lot, haven't there? A lot of scripted appearances, but a lot of appearances nonetheless, including 60 minutes of Joe Biden. What what is one takeaway theme you get from him? What is the one thing? You can say, well, Joe Biden's been talking a lot about this lately. What is it? Is it crime? No. Is it the border? No. It's not even things on the leftist agenda like the environment. You can't really, I mean, yes, you know he's saying things about these things, but you can't really get a takeaway message from him. There is one, though, 
you think about it, there is one takeaway message that you affiliate, associate, assimilate with Joe Biden's uh, uh, speech and talk uh, talking points of late. And that's, of course, about extremism of Republicans. That's all it is, really. That's the only takeaway you get. It's probably deliberate. That is the takeaway he wants you. That is the takeaway the Democrats want you to get. But anyway, when asked about crime uh, and whether Joe Biden believes America's big cities are safe, Jean-Pierre said, look, quote, look, this is a president who has secured historic funding to make sure law enforcement has what it's what it needs. And he was able to do this in the face of opposition from Republicans. So you get two things here right away from the White House press secretary, the propagandist in chief, and she is fast becoming she has now achieved that title, the propagandist-in-chief. Look, this is a president who has secured historic funding to make sure law enforcement has what it needs. To the Democrats, it's always about inputs, never about results, never about outputs. That's why reform of anything is so hard. They don't care to reform it. They have one answer to everything. I saw Katie Hobbs, the Democratic nominee for governor, in an interview on television this weekend. It was a wide-ranging interview. It went 15 minutes. All she had was word salad after word salad about words using words like investment, spending, and paying. That's all she could talk about. No specifics, just more and more inputs. Um, let me come back on this when we get back, because I think when we come back, because I think what Jean-Pierre here is doing is going to be instructive for a lot of us as we tune our hearing, fine-tune our hearing, as we're in ripe and hot election season. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. For any air conditioning, heating, plumbing needs you may have, check out my friends at Cool Touch Air Conditioning, Heating, and Plumbing. They are my friends whenever I see Chris Funk. It's always a great embrace. He is a great small businessman. Uh, you hear his voice on his ads. Uh, it really is a family uh, company, and they do a great job from customer service to completion of the task. You'll realize it's just different at Cool Touch. Whether you need a repair, whether you need a replacement, whether you need a new installation, whether you need an inspection, air conditioning, heating, and plumbing, think Cool Touch. Available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. 623 748 49. Four two. That's six two three seven four eight four nine four two. Or visit them online at cooltouch.us. So Peter Ducey asks Karen Jean Pierre uh, if uh, he if the president believes Americans uh, America's big cities are safe, and she says, "Look, I love that. Look, this is a president who has secured historic funding to make sure law enforcement has what it needs." Not answering the question. Uh, I, I always I always I'm always curious when press secretaries or any spokesman or communications uh, person starts with look like you're asking the wrong question. Here's the message we want you to have. Anyway, Peter Ducey being Peter Ducey said just the original question. <laughs> this is follow up. Just the original question. Does President Biden think America's big cities are safe? She says it's not a yes or no question. <laughs> it's 
<laughs> a yes or no question. It is a yes or no question. Just because she says it doesn't mean that there's some pseudo-sophisticated analysis that needs to take place. We can't ask yes or no. Everything. Not that, if that's not a yes or no question, there are no yes or no questions. Does the president believe American cities are safe or not? You would hope the president would say yes, but you know what? He cannot say yes. So, of course, to them, they don't want to say no. So it's not a yes or no question. She says it's not a yes or no question, quote. It's a very it's very much a question of what has he done to make sure that cities have the funding and have what they need to protect their community. And that's what the president has done. Peter Ducey then confronted her with Jen Psaki's comments over the weekend. Uh, Jean-Pierre argued that Ducey was taking her former boss's statement out of context. That's what they love to do, uh, out of context. No, Jen Psaki had it right. Uh, she said that crime is going to be a major issue. And then she dropped another bomb, one she wouldn't have dropped were she under his employ still. But the other bomb was if Joe Biden is the issue in this election, Democrats lose. Well, he is the issue in this election. Uh, Democrats made him the issue in this election because Democrats made him the president and they have strung and hung him around all of our necks. It's our job, obviously, to take him off. They know that. They're worried about that. That's why they call us what they call us. That's why the slandering and defamation has reached fevered pitch. Although, I'm going to guess they'll find another gear yet. I'm Seth Liebson. Don't go away. Lots more coming right up. Yes and no. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 